Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19, I think. I'll see when I get up there. All my stuff's up there. So last week, we talked about discouragement and how it is kind of one of the biggest tools that Satan uses. And it kind of leads to a bunch of other sin. Uh, it starts with discouragement. 1 Kings 19, yeah, I was right. And uh, we're going to kind of start there, uh, but uh, let me read this while you're looking for that. A story is told about the effects of discouragement upon people. The devil was having an auction, obviously hypothetical situation. He was going out of business and wanted to make a profit. He was offering his tools for sale to whoever would pay his price. The tools were all displayed, uh, malefice, envy, hatred, jealousy, sensuality, deceit, and all the other implements of evil were spread out, each marked with its price. Apart from the rest lay a harmless-looking wedge-shaped tool, much worn and priced higher than any of the others. Someone asked what it was. That's discouragement, was the reply. Why is it so high-priced? Because it was more useful to me than any of the others. I can pry open and get inside a man's consciousness with, with that. And when I can't get near him with anything else, and once inside, I can use him in whatever way suits me best. It is so worn because I use it on, with nearly everybody, as very few people yet know how, that it belongs to me. You say you use this wedge of discouragement with nearly everybody. With whom can't you use it? The devil hesitated a long time and finally said in a low voice, I can't use it to get into the consciousness of a grateful man. It hardly needs to be added to the devil's price for discouragement. I can't even read. It hardly needs to be added that the devil's price for discouragement was so high that it was never sold. He still owns it and uses it today. It, it's, it's easy to see, and the analogy of it being a wedge is perfect because it, it is something that once it's splitting wood, once you wedge either a maul or a wedge into a piece of wood, you can get anything you want inside of there. It'll, you can get it to split. You can put whatever you want inside. And the devil uses discouragement to, it, at, from the surface, it doesn't look like much. It, it's just a discouragement. You don't feel like you're, you're not really sinning. You're not, you're not hatred. That, those kind of things aren't in you. You're just discouraged. But the devil uses that to get a crack in your foundation to then be able to get in further. Uh, Charles Spurgeon is quoted by, as saying, by perseverance the snail reached the ark. We're going to talk about perseverance and how somebody that we, we don't really think of uh, being a, uh, a first kings is about Elijah. If, of all the prophets, Elijah is one of those that we rank quite high on the I don't want to say heroes of faith, but of, of prophets in the Old Testament. Elijah is one of the highest ones. And yet, in this story, uh, this 
what God records for us here uh, is shows us that he's still a man just like everyone else. He still has the same temptations, still deals with the same things that we do. And I want to talk about how he overcame the discouragement and essentially pressed on to be a persevering Christian. Let's pray and we'll get into the lesson. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for, again, being in your house tonight, being able to be around your word, and I pray that you uh, do lift up your word tonight, that your name be glorified, that we uh, be able to learn a lesson from your word and be able to take what Elijah learned uh, in this situation and be able to uh, put it into our own lives and into our own practice, Lord, to, to be a persevering Christian, to not be uh, somebody that is uh, falling off the bandwagon, one that is not uh, fighting for what is right, Lord, but that we uh, stick up, that we get a backbone, and that we fight, and that we continue on. Lord, I pray that you help me with all the words that I'll say, and I pray that you be glorified through it all. In your name I ask. Amen. First Kings 19, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than thy, my father's. And, he, and as he lay and slept under the juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals and, the cru and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time, and touched him, and said, Arise and eat, because thy journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink, and went in the strength of and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights, unto Horeb, the mountain, the mount of God. And he came thither to and he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What dost thou hear? What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with a sword. And I, even I alone, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle, and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? 
And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken. He says the same thing twice. He gets asked the same question twice. Obviously, the Lord said, hey, what are you doing here? Why are you here? And Elijah gives his excuse. This is why I'm here. Obviously, Elijah didn't get the point of it. So God said, okay, let, let me do this. And he crushes and cracks the mountains earthquake, and then a still small voice, and finally he goes, hey, Elijah, let's try that again. You didn't answer it the, right the first time. What are you doing here? Elijah didn't learn. Verse 14, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I alone, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return unto the way, thy way into the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehud, the son of Nimsi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shephet, of, uh, mm, yeah, that place, Ablemahoa, shalt thou anoint to be the prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazel shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which had not kissed him. And the, basically it goes on and God finally says, listen, you're not the only one. You may think you're the only one, but you're not the only one. But I want to look at perseverance because we, we see Elijah just in verse 46 of 18, well, chapter 18, Elijah just came off of a huge mountain, literally and figuratively speaking. He, he just saw fire come down from heaven, burn up the altar, burn the rocks, burn the sacrifice, and then he slays all the prophets of, of Baal. If anybody's on the high peak of, hey, I'm doing right, it's Elijah at this point. But it almost seems that whatever size of victory is going to be the size of testing that's going to come afterwards. If you have a small victory, you'll have a small trial that comes after it. If you have a really large victory, like Elijah has here, you're going to have a very large trial come right after it. And to persevere, first of all, you have to have a beginning. I mean, if you're going to persevere in a race, you have to start the race. You can't persevere to finish the race if you never start it. Elijah's already started. He's in the race, in this for the Lord, trying to take out, I mean, he already takes out all the prophets of Baal, but it shows how much he fights. He, he's got that burning inside of him. I'm, I'm ready to fight. And yet, as quickly as that happens, next verse, and then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I, may not, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow, about this time. He goes from slaying all the prophets of Baal, I think it was like 500 and I don't remember 
how many exactly. He slays all of them, and then one woman says, I'm going to kill you tomorrow by this time. And he runs. No one, the first thing I want to see is nobody is exempt from discouragement. As, as high that we put Elijah, uh, James 5, 7 says, Elias, Elijah, was a man subject to passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three, three years and six months. He was a man to, subject to passions just like us. I mean, he's, he's just like you and me. We look at uh, other examples, Jeremiah, Peter, David, Jonah, and Esther. They're all those that had a high point, but also had a time of being discouraged. Uh, Jeremiah, the entire book is him being, we know him as a weeping prophet. And it could have easily been that Jeremiah would have just said, what, what am I doing? Why, why am I, they're not even listening, they're not going to listen, we're just going to, I'm just spouting off things that nobody's going to listen or do. But yet he, God tells him, just keep at it. This is the purpose why you're here. You were born and you were raised and you, I have you here for this specific reason. So just keep going. The second thing is there's foes and we see those of perseverance. Verse 2, uh, verse 3. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. He ran. His fear. Fear is the first and biggest, in my opinion, foe of being a persevering Christian. Uh, when, when, especially like this, you, you stand up for God and somebody says, I'm going to kill you because of your faith. That, that double checks somebody real quick on do I believe what I believe? Uh, pastor said a lot of times being throughout the church time when, when there is persecution, it, it makes real Christians real Christians. You're not going to stand up for the Bible and stand up for being a Christian if it means you might lose your head. Uh, there, there's a story of in China, a, a church, underground church meeting, and two soldiers came in and said, if there's anybody here that's a Christian, we're going to kill you all. So if you, are, if you don't, don't want to be a part of this, leave. And half the church ran out the doors. And the guards went over and locked the doors. And the pastor and the rest of the, the congregation that was left basically braced for they were going to lose their life. And the men took their guns and laid them down and said, okay, now we can have church because we're not going to worship God with Christians that aren't going to believe what the book says and not going to put their life on the line for what the book says. That's what we're dealing with in this situation. But 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Sadly, a lot of Christians like to quit the race before they even get very far. Uh, because they're worried about what other people might say. They're worried about what their friends might say. They're worried about fearing what their family, what their finances are going to look like. They're, they fear what they don't know. And in Christianity, the entire race is unknown because we're trusting that God will just lead us from this step to the next step and to continue 
leading us where we should go. And yet, even though we trust him for our salvation, that he's going to take us to heaven and going to uh, be our salvation, we can't trust him with just everyday life. And it's sad to see, but fear is one of the biggest ones. I know in my life, fear is the biggest one. The second thing is fatigue. Verse 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under the juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. See, running away obviously took a lot of energy out of Elijah. I mean, you're running as fast as he can, trying to not make a big scene, trying to see who's following him. And finally, he stops underneath a juniper tree. He's tired. He, he's done. I mean, he's ran as far as he can. And finally, he goes, all right, well, I'll just simply lie down here and die. It, that's why Paul tells us, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Galatians 6, 9. We looked at that last week. You can do good and get weary at it. In fact, that's, it doesn't say that in, you get weary in well-doing and in evil-doing. Because, truthfully, we, we don't get weary in doing wrong. Our flesh does not get weary in doing wrong. That's what our flesh is made up of. It, it's just like trying to swim upstream. It's going to take a lot more effort when you're trying to go against what the world says and trying to go against what everybody around you tries to push on you, it's going to tire you out. So fear can make us stop and give up. Fatigue can make us stop and give up. And failure. Verse 5. And as he lay and slept under the juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on Let's go down a little further. Verse 10, and he said, I've been jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel, for have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets in it with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it. Elijah began to realize that this, where he was at underneath the juniper tree earlier, is not the place that God wants him. And that's why God, the Lord, asked him, what are you doing here? We, we just, I, I just sent fire down on the altar. We just won a huge victory, slayed all these prophets. What are you doing in this cave? Why are you here? Proverbs 24, 16 says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. See, a lot of Christians, especially those that get saved later on in life, they have their past. They have all their past failures that the devil can easily bring up and say, hey, yeah, I know you're saved, and I can't, you know, basically the devil can't get you, can't do anything for you, but if he can trip you up and keep you from running, he's done just as good as he can do possibly. And it's easy to bring up our past, to our past failures, to be able to say, yeah, you, you really want to go door knocking and tell somebody else about how God saved you? Well, then what about what you did back here? Are you worthy enough to really say anything? It, are, you think you're good enough? God, God 
when he saves us and we confess our sins, the Bible says that he casts our sins into the deeps, the depths of the sea. As far as from the east is from the west. And we, we've all heard it a lot of times is God forgives us and forgets, but we have the hardest time to forgive and forget ourselves. And the devil uses that to wedge a discouragement into you. And then you're, you might as well just sit down. God can't use a discouraged Christian. You're, it's like we, we watched those videos of uh, the runners at the end of the Olympics. Right at the end. They just, what was that, the triathlon or the, the marathon? And, and they've got nothing. I mean, it's the Olympics. They come into the stadium, and they're just, I mean, their body's done. They've just ran a marathon, swam however many miles, biked for however many miles, and now they're getting to the end, to the finish, and they've got to do a couple laps. And there were some videos of, you know, the, the strong that continue on and reach the end. And then there's those that, I mean, they're, they're crawling. There's some that just, I mean, they're going this way and going this way, and they're weak. They're, they're tired. They've ran as far as they can, and their body's just saying, I, I don't know how much more we can do with this before we just shut it all down. But we have to focus on finishing. We have to persevere. That, that one story of the lady that, I don't even know what year it was. I mean, she was, I mean, flopping every which way. And what it was, she was dehydrated. They didn't give her any water, and she got to the end and needed water, but they wouldn't give it to her. And her body was dehydrated, and they came to say, okay, just, I mean, it was kind of embarrassing the way she was trying to finish this race. But she said, no, 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 no. I'm this far, I'm going to finish. And we have to have that focus to persevere past all the fears, past all the failures that we've had in our lives, past all the fatigue from our body and our uh, door knocking is very fatiguing. You knock on so many doors and either A, they don't want to talk to you, or B, no, get out. I don't want to deal with you. But our job is to just keep knocking, keep telling those that need God's word. So I want to look at, finally, the focus of perseverance. What did Elijah do? What was the turning point? And that starts in verse 8. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength that of the meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. His turning point was he went to the strength, the source of the strength. And that was at, at this point, the mount of God. He went to God for the strength. He, he knew throughout this entire thing that something's not right. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be depressed. I shouldn't be in wallowing in all this. And so he goes to the first place, and the first step of the right direction is going to the presence of God. Now today we don't have a mount that we can go to, but we have God's word that's filled and filled with verses and chapters and books that'll help us continue on. There's a lot of times in the Christian life where it just feels like 
like Elijah said, I'm the only one. I'm the only one standing up for what's right. In your family, at work, you feel like you're the only one, but God does not say, okay, that's a good point. Go ahead and give up. God's point is, okay, even if you are the only one, keep at it. Keep persevering. And we have to go to him for that. Second thing is, Elijah would never have seen Elisha, would never have continued on in what God wanted for his life and to continue on after his life if he didn't get up under and out of that juniper tree. If he would have just stayed under the juniper tree, he would have never met Elisha. He would have never... Jehu... uh, A lot of these things that continued on would have never happened if he would have stayed wallowing in his pity and doubt and fear and discouragement. And we would have never had Elisha. And... It would have ended in verse 7. It would have been done. The chapter would have been done, and Elijah would have either died there, or we would have never heard anything more of him. It's always too soon to quit. Elijah didn't know that Elisha was just around the corner. Elijah didn't know what Elisha was going to do. In fact, the Lord tells Elijah that if, uh, let's see which one, verse 17, and it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. All three of those people came after Elijah, got back up, dusted himself off, and started walking again. Those three men would have never been on the scene and never been able to do God's work if Elijah would have quit. We we have to realize that when it gets down and when we feel like quitting, don't, don't think about the time that you, in your timeline, you want to quit, I'm done. Because you quitting can affect the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Even though you don't see it in your life right here and now, but God might have somebody that's going to look up to you and watch you in your Christian life and say, I want something like him. I want something that he has that I don't have. Those that would be able to be get saved through you would not be able to get saved. What doest thou here? Is God asking you that question? Is God asking me that question? What are you doing here? Are you coming in, sitting down, feeling comfortable? Then you get up after it's done and go back to the world and do nothing? Did somebody hurt you along the way and that's why you don't? work for God anymore? Did, did things happen in your past that has gotten you discouraged to say, well, it's just not worth it? Don't let the past, don't let the fears, and don't let the future stop you from what God wants to use you for. 
God still used Elijah. And from Elijah, God used Elisha in a great way as well. So let's persevere. Let's not be like so many Christians that start well, and then you never see them again. They, they're like the little Alka-Seltzers. They fizzle, and they make a big scene at first. And they're on fire, and then they just evaporate, and they're back into the water. You never would have known that you put that Alka-Seltzer in there. We've got to keep fighting. We've got to keep keeping on, like I said last week. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for the examples that you give us in your word. Lord, of, of not just stories, but real men that, that are just like us. Uh, Lord, they, they went through the same feelings. They went through the same discouragement. They went through the same ups and downs that we deal with as well. Lord, and yet you gave them uh, the strength. Lord, and, and I know you're the same God that was here that fed Elijah when he was under the juniper tree to give him his strength. And you're the same God that rent those mountains. Lord, and you're the same God today as you were then. Lord, I pray that we, we learn to draw our strength and our, our uh, perseverance through you, that we be able to continue on, Lord, to be able to give this next generation a fighting chance. Lord, I pray that we, we do our job, Lord, with, with so many out there who are asking and wanting to know the truth. And, and we have it. And yet we, we sit on our hands and we, we don't give it to them. Lord, I pray that you allow us to, to listen for that small voice, to be able to hear the Holy Spirit, to be able to uh, be used by you. Lord, we thank you for this. I pray that you give us a good week. I pray that you also uh, be with everybody as they go back to work or go back home. I pray that you keep them safe and uh, bring us back here on Sunday if you're Lord Terry's. I thank you again for all that you do. In your name I ask. Amen.